Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. The thing was wondering if someone other than a Black woman could raise a Black child. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hey, 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 lovers. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Dates and Mates. All right, a few months ago, I caused a little bit of a stir when I was on the daily show Beyond the Scenes podcast with Roy Wood Jr. Uh, Apparently, racism and dating is a hot topic, and not in a spicy way, but in like um, an attracting internet trolls kind of way. (laughs) Well, I couldn't just leave the conversation there. I had to bring it over to dates and mates, because much to my criticizer's dismay, racism is a thing, and therefore racial bias in dating is also a thing. And if you're feeling kind of triggered by that, I encourage you to stick with this episode, because you might just hear something today that gives you a whole new perspective. Or you might feel angry and upset with me, and that's okay, because you know what? My DMs are open for comments and questions. It is a sensitive topic, but my mama always said that we should be laughing to keep from crying. And so that's why I have comedian, actor, and podcaster Roy Wood Jr. here to give us his take on dating, race relations, and the worst dating advice he has ever heard. It's a fun episode. It's deep, but we're going to have a good time. But of course, we always kick it off with news you can use. Our big headline for today is... Monkey see, monkey do. Your friends are cheaters. How about you? (laughs) Then later, and dear Demona, I'll tackle this important question. Why are people verbally attacking me on dating apps when I say I'm not interested? I've been getting that question a lot in a lot of different forms. So I know you're going to want to stick through to the dear Demona segment for that answer. All right, friends, let's dish. These dating dish. Metro UK asks, is infidelity contagious? According to research, they say people are more likely to cheat if they know others are having affairs too. This is a bold statement, but it's based on a study, and you know I love some data. So a group of researchers at Reichman University decided to explore the factors of cheating. They looked at whether online exposure to norms of adultery would influence the likelihood of cheating. And guess what they found? Yep, it turns out people are more likely to have an affair if they know others around them are also cheating. And not just people in their immediate circle, but even people that they come in contact with let's say through, oh, I don't know, Instagram, TikTok, if they see the evidence out there, it almost sort of justifies their decision. So here's what I want you to take from this. I'm always talking about how important it is to be in community and specifically in community with like-minded people. I've talked on the show before about people who are seeking relationships who are hanging out with only married people, making them feel bad about the fact that they don't have a partner. You don't want to do that. And by the same token, if you are 
hanging out with a bunch of people who are unfaithful to their partner and you don't want to be unfaithful to your partner, you need to look at the company that you keep. And the people that we choose to allow into our lives, whether it's on social media, whether it's in our actual real life social circle, those people really do have an impact on the way that we look at the world and then the actions that we take accordingly. So I really want to ask you to examine that. Who are you following on Instagram? You're following me, obviously, right? <laughs> At Demona Hoffman. Uh, but really, who are you following? What are you reading? What are you watching? And how are you talking about the relationship that you want and how you are building your life to support that relationship. This is why when I'm doing my dating accelerator program and my coaching, I encourage my clients to get relationship role models. I think it's really important to have people whose relationship you can look up to. And now we have the research that points to what happens when you have people in your life or you have subliminal messaging that points to a different kind of life. So, you know, I'm not knocking polyamory or the non-monogamous lifestyle, but I am saying if you are choosing to be monogamous, let's also be in integrity. Let's not say that we want this relationship, but also keep in the back of our mind that we're looking for an out or that we're open to an out. And let's give ourselves and our partners or even our future partners clarity, honesty, and the understanding that we're on the same page in relationships. And I don't know, you might need to do a little uh, Facebook purge of friends or <laughs> Instagram refresh on who you're following just to make sure that the inputs that you're taking in are really in alignment with who you are what you want to see, and how you want to be thinking about your current or future relationship. We have so much more show coming up for you. Roy Wood Jr. will be with me to share his experience with gender roles in dating and the big R word. Plus, he'll reveal the most important factor to determine your relationship's success. Stay with me. Imagine this. Imagine holding the hand of your partner and having that one person to share a laugh with you, to support you, to be your ride or die. I want to give that to you. And I have a plan. I have a program that will help you on that journey. It's called the Dating Accelerator. I've been running this program now for a few years, and I found that it's extremely successful, extremely helpful in getting people to understand their dating blocks, I call them dating loops, and to break free of them so that they can have a completely different experience with dating online or offline. So if you've ever said, I don't think dating apps are working for me, or if you've said, I don't know how to talk to someone, if I see someone that I'm attracted to, how do I even begin a conversation? Or how do I dress for the date? How do I keep it going if I'm interested in this person? And how do I make it last? I can show you that. I've done it for so many clients in the past. I can show you the success stories from Natasha and Catherine and Holly and so many of my clients in the past. And I can also design that life that you want with you. 
I invite you to check out the Dating Accelerator. I only run this program twice a year. So this is the last time this year that you have a chance to work with me and my team. And there's personalized dating coaching. There are 10 live sessions with us. And there are 10 weeks of video and audio lessons that can help you figure out what are these dating loops that you need to break free from and how can you do that specifically for you. And here's the best part. We listen to feedback every time we run this program. And I know I have a lot of listeners who are not in the U.S. that are on different time zones. We've actually added sessions at all different times throughout the week so that you can find a dating pod within this program that will work for you and get personalized coaching on your time zone when it makes sense for your schedule. So I encourage you to check it out at thedatingsecret.com. The program begins the week of September 19th. So don't delay. This is your chance if you want to get started on rewriting your love story in 2022. Thedatingsecret.com. Roy Wood Jr. is a comedian, an actor, and a correspondent on The Daily Show. He has so many credits and accolades that I, I, I don't even really have enough time to mention them. But I will give you a little fun fact that when I worked in casting at NBC, I showcased him for an open call audition when he was just starting out. What can I say? I have an eye for talent. <laughs> and now, boy... Is this man talented? And boy, is his career on fire. Roy has a starring role in the upcoming film, Confess Fletch. It stars John Hamm. And it's based on, you know, those classic Fletch movies. It'll be out on September 16th. In addition to that, he's the host of the podcast Roy's Job Fair, where he explores the human condition every week through the prism of employment. And as I said earlier, I was a guest on his other podcast, The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes. And now I am just super thrilled to have him here on Dates and Mates. Please help me give big smooches to Roy Wood Jr. Oh, it's so good to have you here. It was so nice to reconnect with you on the Beyond the Scenes Daily Show podcast and talk about race and dating, which is a hot button issue. We will get into it in a bit. But let's just catch up for a second. Let's get a snapshot of where you are, because I've been following your comedy for a long time, Roy. Some of my folks know I I used to do casting, and you were in one of my early showcases (laughs) back when we were, like, in our teens, right? (laughs) Well, thank you. This year has been weird in that I didn't tour Mm. for the first time in 23 years or 1998, whatever that math is. I did my last, my most recent hour special in Perfect Messenger at the end of 21. And going into this year, I don't know what I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about the things I've already been talking about for the last three specials, you know, be it mm-hmm. race and society and a little bit of politics and just random hodgepodge. Like that stuff was all fine and it's all entertaining and it's stuff I'm passionate about. But I just, I know I want to talk more about. My father, fatherhood, family. So this year, you know, I just started really grinding hard at, you know, a little bit of podcasting. The Daily Show keeps us busy, thankfully. And then I've just been blessed enough to be able to write and sell a couple of TV shows and a couple of scripts here and there. So I've just been pouring all of my energy into that this year. That's what I'm curious about right now. Yeah. What I love about your comedy and the whole evolution of your comedy, you've always talked about stuff that matters to people. Like I've heard you 
talk about some of the advice that you've been given in love and relationships. And I know that's what our audience is really interested in. You got some advice that doesn't necessarily fit for modern modern relationships. <laughs> like uh, need to find a woman who can cook. And then you ended up with a vegan. What's up with that? <laughs> Yeah, well, my thing was, it, it was the opposite. My uncle told me that I need to find a woman who could cook, to which I countered, that's not that big of a deal. The joke version of it was that, you know, you were a black man in the 60s. You weren't allowed to eat anywhere. You had to have a woman that could cook. <laughs> like, yeah. like, segregation had a way of keeping you home more often than not. <laughs> I don't know why I said that with a smile on my face. Look, we got laugh to keep from crying, Roy, honestly. Yeah, I've dated vegans. I've dated people who did cook for me, and that was nice as well. But it just, in terms of a make or break aspect of a relationship for me, cooking has never been on the list. I'm gone most of the time anyway, just from road work and gigs at night. So that traditional hot meal at 6.30, do the dishes at 7.30. Like, I just, I've never had that structure with anyone that I've dated. I've never either. And I take a really modern approach to dating and relationships. And so for the longest time, I've also said, we need to set aside these traditional gender roles that worked for our uncles and our grandparents and even our parents. Yeah. Figure out what is the life that you want to build and what works for you today because like everything else has changed like the way we connect the way we talk to one another the way we work the way we even just live our daily lives the way we dine just in general i mean on an app everything is on an app (laughs) applebee's got a two for 20 don't cook tonight it's cool (laughs) i got us like you know sometimes you may want some carry out so why are we still dating by the old-fashioned rules yeah i don't i mean i don't want to throw out all of them but you know but i'm also not laying my coat down on a puddle for you either. This is a nice-ass coat. I'm not ruining my coat. Can I tell you? Let's, let's walk around the puddle together. How about that? Actually, when I, <laughs> <laughs> when I was running the NBC talent diversity program, diversity I actually hurt, yeah, the diversity stand-up NBC, which you were the star yeah. of in 2005, I think. Somewhere there was one of the comedians um, had a joke about walking on the street side and not wanting to walk on the street side because uh he's like look we we just met like maybe we could just walk (laughs) single file and then if we get hit we both get hit together and i swear to you roy that was the first time i had even heard that that was a convention like that the guy was supposed to walk on the street side like my parents are very non-traditional i didn't know that that was a thing it was there a rule book that i missed on chivalry or something No, there's just certain things. But then I got chewed out by a woman I dated one time for getting on the up escalator in front of her with the idea of if she fell, she would tumble back down the stairs and I needed to be behind her to catch her. And then the same thing going down the down escalator, I should be in front of you. So that if you fall down the escalator, I can squat and, oh, I saved your chivalry. <laughs> Which to this day, like I'm one of those guys, I date somebody, we break up, and then those habits just get merged into the next relationship. So like half of the chivalry I do is just 
by behavioral byproducts of <laughs> previous relationships. And then they turn like, into a comedy bit too. <laughs> sometimes. You know what? But that's also the byproduct of my stand-up is that I generally talk about the world around me and the things that connect us. I very rarely talk about my own life on stage, mm-hmm. which is why this fatherhood stuff and everything I want to start talking about now is such a behavior of departure and I don't know how to even get into it. Mm. You know, it's like learning how to throw with your left hand. Like I've been a writing my whole, you know, I talk about society. Now I have to talk about myself. And so because of that tenement that I've pretty much abided by my entire career, no, I've never really rolled any joke on stage that was really derogatory or in any sense of self-deprecating. Like I might use the relationship as an end to get into a topic. But the only joke I remember doing while I was in a relationship that kind of got me in a little bit of hot water, the idea that no woman past year five or year six wants to be called girlfriend. Like after a while, in any relationship, it doesn't matter, in any relationship, after a while, the title of girlfriend becomes corrosive and almost derogatory to the ears of the person you're dating. For some women, it might be one year. For other women, it might be year six. It might be year eight, what have you. So the joke was that the problem is that between girlfriend to fiance, there are no other words. There's nothing else to address you by. As a society, we have not agreed upon anything. We've tried boo thing. <laughs> We've tried that's my bae. We've tried all these new words in between girlfriend and so trying to come up with a new title like girlfriend but not yet fiance because a woman you've been dating for five years should not hold the same title as a woman that's been you've been dating for a year yeah that's not fair so there should be promotions and the punchline was the punchline was lieutenant girlfriend there should be two-star girlfriend that, and she didn't like that she didn't like that and, and it and rightfully so and also Women in the crowd were 50-50 on that. I can understand as a comedian why you wouldn't want to tell the joke, but I'm going to tell you a story from my own experience when I had been dating my now husband for, I don't know, maybe two and a half years. So we weren't even at the six-year mark. I was starting to feel like that. Like I needed a, a star or I needed to give him a star or something to acknowledge the time that we had spent together. And so I was like, I'm going to start calling him my partner because it is more significant than a just a boyfriend. I agree. But I remember telling somebody at this this restaurant that, that worked there, and I said, my partner, he's a vegetarian. And then this guy said back, oh, there should be plenty for her to eat. She'll be great. And because I'd use the word partner, and before uh, marriage equality, that was the only word that the LGBTQ community could use. He just assumed he, he heard partner that I was with a woman. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that wasn't the right word. <laughs> I've made the wrong choice. Yeah. <laughs> but we're in a society where a ring is the only promotion that exists, and I get it. But so much of that, in my opinion, is rooted in us worrying about how the relationship is perceived by other people. And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily for right or for wrong. You know, as a man, I have a differing perspective than women, you know? And I think that everybody's entitled to get what matters to them or what's important to them. That's true. 
That's true. And I would say that's something, you know, I've been coaching people for a long time on dating now, and I see that as a bigger problem than it used to be, where people aren't, we're not really talking about how we feel or what we want. And then we get into these situationships and the situationships I think are more, are certainly more prevalent today than they were before. And because I think, I'm curious your opinion, I think that the the digital communication, social media, texting, that has added to it because we are developing a false sense of connection by, you know, just texting words back and forth. And then also we can have this whole other fantasy life that doesn't necessarily connect to reality. So you might be the fantasy person or you might be the real person and they're living in the fantasy world, but it keeps people from really rooting in figuring out what they're doing in the relationship at that moment. Yeah, but I also think sometimes that digital world creates relationships that can sometimes drift into something performative, depending on what your social media habits are depending on mm-hmm. what feeds you and what feeds your self-esteem. And if it's adulation and celebration from strangers, then you're going to continue to do things that facilitate that dopamine. Drop the mic right there. Mm. And if you're not careful, you'll do it at the expense of your own happiness. Mm-hmm. Because rather than pursue something that truly makes you happy, you will create a construct that gets you claps from strangers. Mm-hmm. So true. You know, and that part of it can be, you know, dangerous. I I often wonder if that's why we sometimes, you know, as a people stay in relationships longer than we probably should. Certainly. Yeah. It's a lot of what other people say. I also see that sometimes it's time invested. Like, oh, well, I've already been with this person for six years. So the idea of going back into the dating pool and starting at zero again doesn't sound that appealing, even if you're not happy in the relationship. Not ideal. Not ideal. Yeah, I don't know. I I understand it can be that way for a number of reasons, but I just, it's not something that I necessarily have ever chosen to buy into, but I'm also a comedian and I've, I'm used to rejection and disapproval from strangers. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm, Kind of joking, but like seriously, like once you have dealt with some form of whatever you can perceive as public embarrassment, what what do I care about them people for? So true. And this is something that I'm always trying to get my clients and listeners to embrace is that the imagined worst case scenario outcome that keeps you from acting is usually not as bad <laughs> as you think it will be. And I don't like living in the limbo. I, I, I don't like that at all. And yeah. I think it causes us a lot of unnecessary pain in relationships. Yeah. I just think it's just a matter of being honest. You know, for me, like I'm not, I guess I'm not out here with some sort of sense of urgency. You know, I am better in a relationship than I am out of one, just from an efficiency standpoint, because dating and talking to people is time consuming yeah. and taxing yeah. and, and it is, you get time back when you're in a relationship. You know, there's a rebate <laughs> with somebody. Okay. Even if you're not actively dating, 
you're just entertaining people and situations that you probably would not have entertained if you were in a relationship. So true. That's a tax on your time. So true. I, I really want to hear what is important because I've heard in your comedy over the years, different things that have come up, you know, as, as challenges in relationships, not necessarily for you specifically, but just as a whole. There was one joke you had that I really connected with. It's an oldie but a goodie. Thermostatic compatibility. My husband and I run at very different temperatures. And when you. That joke is rooted in truth. <laughs> it was so rooted in truth. I was like, this speaks to me because I'm like, 72, 73 would be, is great for me. My husband would like to sleep in a freezer. <laughs> I believe that the most compatible couples have a comfort zone with their thermostat that lies within four degrees of one another. Oh, gosh. I think for that joke, I said eight degrees. But even that's too it's much. too much. Hot tip for anyone that's not, it's not thermostatically compatible. I got one of those heating blankets. It's just, it's just a twin size heating blanket. So I just put it on my <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. And then we just have the heat mm. over here and then he has like a cooling pad. So we've managed to make it work. But I want to know what you think really is important in a relationship. I think being able to laugh together. Mm. I think being able to motivate each other. Feeling each other's losses, like sadness is important in a relationship. Shared sadness. Because I think what happens is that we become so self-sufficient as people that when you integrate another person into your life, there's certain aspects of your life, including frustration and loss, that you just try to carry yourself because that's what you're used to and that's what you've done. That's your normal MO. But in certain instances, I think it, it could be helpful. It could even be empowering, you know, because then you're in a situation where someone can appreciate your wins even more because they understand the stakes. They understand everything that came before that moment of celebration. So I think that sharing of emotion, I think that's important. You know, the thermostatic compatibility, you know, that's that's interesting and true, but you can survive that. But you cannot survive a bunch of small thermostatic issues <laughs> in a relationship. No. You know, I'm not saying that y'all both got to like football, but one of you got to be able to tolerate it. If you're the football dude and you love football and you love watching sports and you're with someone that completely hates it, you know, that's just another drop. It's just a it's just a small drip drop. Here's what I would it's say a drip drop. to that. I think that you don't necessarily have to like the same things. I think we put a lot of pressure on our partner to share our interests, but you have to support your partner's interest in that thing. Like when my husband and I first started dating, he was really into football. Not so much anymore. Now more soccer football. But you know, he would post up at the sports bar literally we we live in LA, so the game. I don't. I don't even know when the games are. On. That's how much I don't know. But he would go oh, nine, eight, nine, or ten in the morning. Yeah, so he'd go at like NFL. nine in the morning, and he'd literally he'd have fantasy football teams, so he had to watch all of the games. So he'd be there from nine to like what four? Four. That was his day, four. and it was great for me because. I like to do my girl things. I like to go to yoga. I get my nails did. I do all those things while he has something else he's focusing on. But I see that the problem is that we want to have our partner with us in doing everything and that a lot of times people lose themselves in relationships and they're not creating space 
for them to still do the things that make them excited. I think that people also become clingy and resentful if you have something that you're into that they're not. So then they're constantly asking you when you're going to be back from that thing or the flip side where you do the thing together, but then one person is doing it with their arms crossed. (laughs) You know, if I didn't get the same thing out of it, you got, then it's a potential, it's a potential pothole. It's a drip drip. You know, I enjoy baseball. So if you don't rock with it, do not come or meet me there. We don't even have to go together, dog. (laughs) I want to show up two hours before the game. That's why I don't even like going with people. There's certain stuff I just don't want to do with anybody because I don't want to drag you. Because now that's you lying to yourself, and that's going to eventually create an inequity where you snap. So it's a setup in a way when you try to immerse yourself in those things. And if you allow people to be with you, even though they aren't into those things, you cannot penalize them on the backside for trying. Okay, so just coming back to how we reconnected here on um, Beyond the Scenes with The Daily Show. So we were looking at this Daily Show piece on dating racism, particularly really focusing around how apps contribute to racism and dating. And, you know, we got into a pretty interesting conversation, I would say. I'm curious, like, your perspective on race and dating do you feel like dating apps are contributing to dating racism or do you feel like racism is a thing (laughs) spoiler alert for anyone (laughs) listening racism is a thing and that dating apps amplify what is already happening in culture every app is programmed by a person that person has biases and so whatever code is put into that computer it's set up to feed and honor that algorithm and the people that are in charge of it could change it if they want i do think that we as people have biases that are already pre-installed patrice o'neill had a very very wonderful phrase and i'm i'm paraphrasing it but he said men are hunters and you hunt what you know Mm -hmm. so if you came up like me i came up in predominantly black school districts my entire life, I went to a black college. I can count literally from K through college graduation, 10, maybe 15 white people total that I knew or saw or that were in my school. You know, my high school was much more 50-50 black and white, but I went predominantly black everything before that, like, well, you have one white classmate. So this idea of relatability and even like just the assumption of relatability to someone other than a black woman, I didn't possess that. Mm -hmm. So instinctively, if I'm out, I'm going to try and talk to a black woman because that's what I know. That's what I know for sure as a hunter that I can catch. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because I know I have those tools the pre-installed software of relatability and can't I talk to her? Does she probably understand me? And it's not to say that X, Y, Z person of other race couldn't connect and ain't got something positive to offer and probably loves baseball or whatever. I hope you find this baseball loving lady. (laughs) (laughs) 
But if, even if I did, it'd be weird. I'd be like, "Ugh, you like baseball too much. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you meet me in during the third inning? Uh, like, it's always you, something. I know, right? And then I just think that the biases within the apps, you know, I don't think that it's set up to show you all of the options, you know, and this is coming from a guy who used to online date, but my online dating era is a little earlier. Like I was wrapping it up around the black people meet era. Still around. Of online dating. <laughs> yeah. Well, the early iteration, the 1.0s of black people. When Black Planet was still a thing. <laughs> black Planet. Yeah. Okay, that's, you went all the way back there. <laughs> yeah, we're internet. talking 0102 money. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, even in those days, there would be white women on those apps. And you'd be like, oh, okay, she and the brothers. So, but then would you talk to her because she was there? Or would you be like, why is she on this app? It depend on how she looked. Oh. It depend on the haircut. <laughs> haircut. You can tell. <laughs> Didn't the stereotypes of like, oh, she got the short hair. Okay, yeah, she no brothers. <laughs> Whereas the other, you'd be like, mm, you're a race tourist. <laughs> Pass on you. For me, the thing, and we talked about this on the podcast. You know, for me, the thing was was wondering, knowing that I wanted children, and wondering if someone other than a black woman mm-hmm. could properly help me raise a black child. And prepare him for everything and the people who have been through what it is I believe I'm preparing him for are the most qualified. Mm. That's my opinion. And that's how I'd always looked at dating when it came to dating outside the race because everything else could check out fine. But then there's always this split thought that I would have of, well, damn, man. If that's at a detriment to my son, have I done everything possible to prepare this child? And I know there's a million different ways and avenues to prepare kids of any biracial situation for the world that they're going to be getting into. And it's not to say that white people aren't capable or that a white woman isn't capable of it, but I'm just telling you why I made the choices I made you know, at the time. And that's what that was rooted in. It always came down to parenting for me. Mm, that's interesting. Looking back, and now you're a dad, and you're getting ready to explore this in your next special, do you feel like that was accurate? I know that was your thought process at the time, but looking back, do you still feel that way? I think the society has shown us that there are way more white people now than in 1990-whatever Black Planet year that are capable of understanding and being a part of solutions Mm. than just being blind to the problems. True. You know, I do think that anybody who's dating, you know, in a at least the guys that I know who date interracially, you know, these are white women that are just, you know, as they say, built different or, you know, their mindset is a little different in terms of their approach to life and society and all of that stuff. So it's not like you're dating someone who's with you in spite of the fact that you're black. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? And yeah. so, so to me, the default at that time was the assumption that a black woman has more pre-installed software that is going to match my pre-installed software. So there would be more, there would be more shorthand. Mm-hmm. I believe that now, if we're talking about race and equality and whether or not there's enough woke white folks walking around or Asians or whatever, yes, there's definitely way more of that. And it might have been the case then, but it just wasn't as out there on Front Street sure. as it is today. Yeah, that's true. And I and having lived it and 
I, I wouldn't say we've, my husband and I have been together since the Black Planet days, but, <laughs> but somewhat after the infancy of online dating, even being at a place where we were both open to interracial dating, we still, even now having kids who are biracial, depending on who you ask, we continue to have those conversations. So it's, it's never ending, but I really feel like the apps allow us the possibility to have those conversations that we couldn't have. And for anyone who wants yeah. to hear more, I know you have to go, Roy. I, would, I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> but for anyone who wants to hear more, we did get real in-depth on Beyond the Scenes. So I will put the link to that in the show notes. Yeah, we did. Tell us about you got a new movie coming up with yeah, John Hamm. What's up? Confess Fletch, the old Chevy Chase uh, franchise from the 80s. Wonderful director Greg Matola. They got a hold of one of the books uh, from back in the day. And it's a sequel and a continuation where John Hamm plays Erwin Fletcher, the private eye, trying to solve murders. And I'm the cop trying to pursue him. Uh, September 16th. Thank you so much for joining me, Roy. It was so great to reconnect. Be sure to catch Roy on the big screen in the upcoming film, Confess Fletch with John Hamm. It hits theaters September 16th. And check out his podcast, Roy's Job Fair. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. Do I let my potential matches know when I'm not interested? Stay with me. I love, 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 love. <laughs> and I love, 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 love answering your love questions. So let's get into the question of the week. Me. This is an Instagram message that I received from overwhelmed and not prepared. They said, hi, Demona. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've been divorced for five years and dated on and off since. I am now getting back into dating and I've tried the online apps and it seems to be the way to go, although it feels very inorganic to me. I am not a fan. I've been getting a great response rate, but I'm having trouble making meaningful connections with my matches or even getting through the likes to figure out who are potential matches? Do you recommend going through only a certain number of them and exploring potential matches in that group before moving on? I'd love some insight on this. Just to put this in reference, I opened an account last night and I woke up to over 1,500 likes. Eee! That's like the bug eyes emoji. I messaged a few, but I knew it wasn't a good match very early on. I would send a nice message and wish them well. Each person responded by verbally attacking me when I was simply trying to be polite. Is this why ghosting is such a big thing? <laughs> oh, overwhelmed and not prepared. I could see why, but let me get you prepared and then maybe you can get yourself out of overwhelm. Let's put the ghosting thing aside. That's a whole other conversation. And let's address what you really need to do to get unstuck. It's not surprising to me that you are overwhelmed because you are entertaining a lot of matches. 1,500 likes is way too much to be even processing. Uh, so they, they say that you can only really be in touch with 100 people. Like So for people like me who have like thousands of Facebook friends, and I swear to my husband, I'm like, they're all my friends, my friends, my friends. But uh, the reality is you can only have meaningful connections with about 100 and when you put this in the context of online dating, even that is far too many. So not all likes are worth engaging with. And I think you're getting a little bit of this pushback. And I, I'm sorry for the verbal attacking. Like, there's no excuse for that. And this is why I'm always talking about 
empathetic dating because it's not just for you guys. It's for like everyone out there to be more kind to one another and less transactional with dating. But I think you're getting this blowback because they maybe were just sending a like, like, hey, you cute. And then all of a sudden they feel attacked because now you're like, well, I'm not interested. And it plays on all of their insecurities of feeling like they weren't even at your level to be able to send you a message. So here's what we do. We do not engage with likes. We don't do it. I'm not sure exactly which app you're on or which one you're talking about, but we want to get into a situation where you're only engaging on a mutual match. For anyone that's feeling overwhelmed, it's probably that you are too open to the possibilities and you're not focusing in on the people that are showing up for you or the people that are ultimately the right match. So already with you telling me that you knew that they weren't a, a match early on, the etiquette is that it does not require a response. If someone takes the time to send you a heartfelt message, that's when I start saying like, we want to be empathetic. We want to respond with kindness, but with clarity. But if they're just like sending you a like and they're not a match, that doesn't even cross the threshold of needing you to respond or put any emotional energy into that. So that alone should save you a lot of time. The other thing I would tell you is that there's a lot of variety in dating apps. So you might be on an app that has critical mass, has tons of people, but then requires a lot of sorting. While it might be a better fit for you to go onto a more curated app where you're not getting all of those matches. But regardless, I don't want you engaging with anyone unless you have mutually matched or they have sent you an actual message. Like, taken the time to read your profile and actually sent you something specific and not just like, hey, girl, you cute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, you know, I have to address the feeling like the online apps are inorganic and you're not a fan. I have to admit it is inorganic. You are 100% right about that. But let's just think about the way that we live our lives in other ways. Like, here's an analogy. I've been a little bit overwhelmed with uh, launching the show and writing my book and all these other things. And so I said to my husband, hey, instead of going to the grocery store and us spending two hours in the grocery store sorting through everything, cross-referencing our list, let's just do grocery delivery right now. It's like it's worth three ninety-five dollars uh, plus tip. I hope y'all are out here tipping for me to not put my time into that. Now, I got my groceries delivered today. It was wonderful. It was efficient. And the other added benefit of it is I just bought what I needed. I wasn't out there at the grocery store picking up Cool Ranch Doritos, which I have a little problem. I have a little problem with Cool Ranch Doritos. But I was not faced with that challenge because I wasn't in the store itself. That is what online dating does for you. You don't have to be out in the store entertaining Cool Ranch Dorito guys or girls or whatever you're into. You can focus in your efforts so that you're only engaging with the people that clear the threshold on what you want. So I can choose celery mindfully because it's crunchy and it sort of gives the same effect of eating Doritos and okay, I know I'm fooling myself, but the reality is I don't have to be 
doing the second level of sorting when I get the grocery delivery. So what online dating affords you is efficiency. So maybe we can flip your perspective around it instead of like pining for the past of dating and focusing on the inorganic nature of it. Maybe focus on what the benefits are, that it is more efficient, that you can know more about someone when you match with them than you would if you met them on the street. Because if you go into it feeling like it's a chore, feeling like it's inorganic and doesn't match with your nature, of course, I understand why you'd feel overwhelmed and not prepared. But if we can go in with preparation and understanding of this is the situation we're signing up for, this is what online dating is, it's not offline dating. It's not the same. The rules are different. The actions that you have to take are different. And we embrace that for what it is, then a whole new world of possibility can open up to you and you can have a different experience. I promise for anybody listening who's frustrated or overwhelmed with dating apps that there is another way to look at it. And if you change the way you interact with the app or the people on it, 100% your experience will also change. I hope you enjoyed episode 427 of Dates and Mates. If you are new to the show, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or another platform, I welcome you. I am so glad to have you in the community. This is a safe space. This is an inclusive space. And I'm here to help you with whatever your love dilemma is. You can DM me your question at Damona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I want to hear from you. So send me your questions in a DM at Damona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or call me maybe. You can call me at 424-246-6255. Send me a text or a voicemail there and you could hear yourself and or your question answered on a future episode. And don't forget, enrollment is open now for the Dating Accelerator Program. This is the one time this year where you can work with me and my team live and in person. So if you're interested in getting some personalized dating attention and help figuring out your dating plan, check it out at thedatingsecret.com. The link will also be in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday with television host, author, and happiness coach, Rob Mack. He will share his secret to loving from the inside out. Plus, he will teach us how to emotionally regulate before a date. That's one you will not want to miss. Until then, I wish you happy dating.